welcome to the latest episode of At The Flicks. Yes, the three old-timers are back with our eclectic mix of news, reviews and rambling discussions on everything movie-related. Zadrovo for our Croatian listeners. My name is Jeff and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. This month I've come up with a great idea for a film spin-off. Are you ready for this, lads? The British Purge, where for 12 hours you can kill anyone who doesn't agree with you politically. Mind you, considering how this country's divided on certain issues, I don't think there'll be that many people left when that all-clear siren sounds. Hello, my name is Graham, and are politicians behaving like children? I thought conflict resolution could be done with Kerplunk, Buckaroo and Operation. Or we could go straight to Rollerball. Actually, in the UK at the moment, Rollerball looks a more aspirational than dystopian option. Hi, my name is Neil and I'm looking forward to Brexit the movie. They'll hire the worst director ever, the worst cinematographer and the screenplay will be a mess. It'll also make no money, ever. And all the stars of the show will move to another country. Historical accuracy, unlike Braveheart. Wow, a Gibson reference in the introduction. That doesn't bode well. (laughs) Hey guys... What a month it's been. Our new podcast shorts have been launched. We've done a couple of interviews. Our listenership is increasing again and we now have over 400 listeners. And the World Cup has been fantastic. I didn't pay any attention to that last one as Wales aren't in it. To quote Orangeman, World Cup equals fake news. Gareth Bale and 10 random Welshmen didn't make it, did they? So, Jeff, I see you've caused more confusion to our podcast by yet again picking a film we were unable to review. What happened to Mary Shelley? Uh, Neil, this is becoming an almost monthly occurrence now. <laughs> it is, isn't it? So far this year, we have missed out on The Bromley Boys. That was your one. That's Mary awesome. Shelley, Jeff, and in Tebby, Jeff again. He's got a talent for this. I also wanted to see Beast and Leave No Trace and the remake of Journey's End. But because we live in the far-out, uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy, we never get to see these movies on the big screen. So, the Adaflix team have come up with a plan. When these films become available in other formats, we will all watch them and do our own mini-reviews. We now have our new short podcasts and will release a short pod just to say if they were worth watching or not. Good idea, Graham. Oh, Graham, Graham again. Make a stand, Neil. Be your own man, for God's sake. I mean, you could be our version of Piers Morgan. I mean, you do look a bit like him. As unbelievable as this sounds, lots of people disagree with me. Yeah. Maybe you should start siding with me on a few of my populist views. I agree with anybody disagreeing with your gibberish. Look, just tell us the answers to last month's quiz. Will do, especially as there was a lot of interest in the quiz this month. <laughs> By people who can't get to sleep in the heat waves. Better than counting she... Oh, dear, I mentioned the S word. Ooh, careful, careful. What's the answer to last month's quiz question? To get away from the heat, Neil, have you ever thought of potholing as a hobby? <laughs> oh, there are some great caves in Thailand you should check out. If you get lost, Elon Musk will tell you where they are and send a sub for you. <laughs> Moving on, let's recap on the quiz. It was in two parts. Work out the films from the quotes and find the link that connects them. Here are the quotes with the answers. Quote one, where we're going, we don't need roads. Back to the future. Quote two, and one more thing. What you choose to call hell, he calls home. Rambo First Blood 2. Yep. 
Quote three, you see us as a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess and a criminal. Correct? That's the way we saw each other at seven o'clock this morning. We were brainwashed. The Breakfast Club. I had real problems with this one, Jeff. I thought the, the Breakfast Club one was Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and then I thought it was pretty in pink before I finally got the Breakfast Club. So what linked them all together? Well, the link was they were all made in 1985, a oh, classic gosh, film year. Yes. Yet another classic film question at the end of the show. <laughs> Classic isn't the word I had in mind. Time wasting, and we really do have a pack show for you this month. Neil, what's coming up? Plenty, Graham. Once again, there's no feature, but that will be back next month. Instead, this month we have two interviews. One, in what we hope will be a regular feature, is a catch-up with our local Cineworld management to find out what movies are coming out soon. The other is an interview with Robin Smith, who recently arranged and conducted a spectacular film music concert as part of the Cheltenham Music Festival. If that isn't enough for you, there is our ever-popular movie news feature, and this month we've even put a bit of a spin on them. After that, we have the movie review section, where we'll be giving our views on Incredibles 2, Tag, and as we said earlier, as Mary Shelley didn't appear locally, we are reviewing Whitney. So a documentary, an adult American comedy, and a spectacular animation. After those heights of interest, we hit the low of Jeff's latest quiz. (coughs) (laughs) Without any further ado, let's go to our first interview. Our first interview is with Robin Smith, who earlier this month arranged and conducted a very special concert of film and game music as part of the Cheltenham Music Festival. You may notice a slight background noise, which we have done all we can to minimise. The important thing is Robin's incredible detailed knowledge of his craft, which he puts over with boundless enthusiasm. Over to you, Jeff. Hello and welcome to a very special At The Flicks interview. We are here with composer, arranger and conductor Robin Smith. Mr Smith was the musical director for that unforgettable 2012 London Olympic opening ceremony. He has also composed and arranged music for many legendary people, including Luciano Pavarotti, Enrique and Rod Stewart. And now Robin is bringing his many talents to this year's Cheltenham Music Festival for what is promising to be a stunning event called Thrones, Swords and Fantasy. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So, fire straight into this then. <laughs> what was your inspiration for the celebration of film and game music? Oh, there's so many different things. First of all, it was, I mean, obviously, as an arranger, I love arranging. Yeah. So any excuse. And also, I had done an album for uh, an artist called The Two Cellos, an album called Score, yeah. uh, which was film music. And really, you know, it's a beautiful album. So I had that, but I think the underlying thing... We, we live in Cheltenham, right? Yeah. And it's an incredible town we're living, incredible musical legacy, uh, and you know, a lot going on. We, sh- we should be so lucky. Except that when the music festival comes on, they open up the book. I'd love to go, but there's really nothing here that appeals to me. Now, I, that really upset me, and I thought, well, this, yeah. is, this is bonkers. Yeah. So I set out on my mission to do a show for all those people who'd never normally go to the music festival. 
I don't believe that music is elitist. I never have believed. I, well, I, look at the proms. Look how uh, the proms, which, yeah. which we're coming into. The, I've just seen the, the, the program for mm. this year. I mean, it's fantastic. Oh no, it's marvellous, it, and it's uh, open up the doors. Yeah. Um, and you know, the whole new listening public. You know, and, and, and it keeps it, it keeps it living. It keeps it breathing. You know, and that's what it's about. And and of course, the normal platform we now listen to most of beautiful orchestral music is in the cinema. Yes. We, it's in the cinema. It's now on TV. And and as you'll see on Saturday, it's now it's also in game music. I mean, most people yeah. really don't understand, and understandably, everybody kind of goes a certain generational thing. But we are all there. We kind of go, oh, what, PC games. Well, that's um, that's Pac-Man, isn't it? That's music that goes and all that kind of stuff. Which you know, but you know, some of the biggest budgets of recording yes. out there that yeah. in Abbey Road are all for game music. I mean, massive budgets, massive orchestras, and beautiful music. There's a record label in California called La La Land Records. Mm. I've got their box set with the Medal of Honor stuff and Michael Giacchino did that music, oh, and right. that was just tremendous. That's and as you say, the money that went into that Absolutely. was just incredible. Now you've got all these different audiences. You've got the audiences who will go and... I mean, there are. They'll, they'll go and watch Ennio Morricone, because, I mean, even yeah. at the age of... Yeah. In his 80s, he's still touring the world, packed yeah. out. He's at the, the O2 in November. Michel Legrand. He's, he's back over and you know, as a very, very oh, elderly gentleman that'll be packed as well so you've got those John Williams I can't, oh. you can't get a ticket for under £300 no, pounds yeah, it. and it's, so it should be so you've got that generation and those Hans Zimmer has just finished his two year world tour did, did you see it? all my friends were in the band so I didn't oh. um, but you know fantastic I, mean, I, I saw it in Birmingham oh, it's tremendous it is, it's a great music he's a, yeah. he's a marvellous man and he uh, and you look at the, the John Williams and the Hans Zimmers and you know, the Howard Shaws and they all know where classical music came yes. from they know their, yeah. where their place is and where it, you know, where it comes from. You know, you listen to Howard Shaw and you're, you are kind of listening to Vaughan Williams. So yes. Well, the Lord of the Rings stuff you did. Yes. Oh, well, it is, my you know. favourite, yeah. It's gorgeous, isn't it? But it is, I mean, I, OK, so it's very influenced by Rafe. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, and it's interesting, Howard Shaw's background, because he started with David Cronenberg mm. in the 70s, doing electronic scores. Yeah, yeah, and then moved, you know, after scanners and video drums, yeah. moved... When you get to the fly in about 87, 88, you know, then it's a full-blown orchestral oh, score. Yeah, and tremendous. And, and on the face of it, you go, well, it's really... I mean, even Lord of the Rings, it seems very, very simple. But the effect of it, it has... It's so layered, it's so beautifully layered, and it, and it works with such a... Vast canvas. As, as the whole of, of uh, Middle Earth or, or New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, exactly. no, absolutely. And it yeah. works. If it, was, if it was too clever, it would get lost. Uh, yes. Uh, but it's just... The right moment yeah. at the right time, yeah. you know, and that's that's the genius of it. So just yeah. break down these barriers. I don't like absolutely, it. absolutely. So how is it going for Saturday? How's the prep? Oh, don't ask me that. <laughs> oh, right. We gloss over that one. Well, I got... actually, you asked me about the, the show, and the other thing I wanted to do was to showcase young musicians. And so I, I do. I have four four young musicians who are performing, which is tremendous. Um, I had two two soprano singers. One developed glandular fever and lost her voice on, and told me she couldn't sing on, on Monday. So I've been rewriting yes. arrangements since then. I, I can see why you didn't want that question. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll skip quickly on from that one. No, it's fine. You know, but it's, it's, a, it's a lovely challenge of being an arranger. Most, yeah. most people, and I think it's true, but really they hear the word arranger, but they don't actually understand what an arranger is or what an arranger does. To be really honest, I mean, you, you guys yeah. probably do, but most people don't. They kind of go, "Well, that's, 
that's, uh, well, that's, that's a bloke then, isn't it? Because <laughs> most people do want to see things that, you know, they'll see, see an orchestra and, they, and go, oh, well, the orchestra are playing and they're all playing something which sounds like something. How did they get to that point? And I'm sure most people think that they all kind of had a conversation over a nice cup of tea and said, well, we'll play this, you play that, and we'll play... But, of course, it isn't like that. It takes an arranger to, uh, to do that. So that's, 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 the, that's the fascinating thing for arranger. And, of course, you can manipulate any piece of music to do anything. I can, yeah. I can turn a Viennese waltz into a, oh, I don't know, a Black Sabbath tune if I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a great challenge, as did the great composers. I mean, Vaughan Williams and the French composers could take... And, as did Stravinsky, would take very famous folk melodies... And suddenly you've got Petrushka. So when you compose, do you do your own arrangements? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a, that's a, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, it's, it's funny what, the way you say that, because I've yeah. never, ever thought of... If you compose, you compose. Yeah. Which means that you've... You, you, yes, I guess you may write a melody, but everything else underneath it is also part of that composition. I mean, it's not... Every, every, every single part is valid. And then if you conduct it, is that like a, a complete holistic whole? Is that it done yeah. then? Right. Yes. Okay. You have to respect these conductors who can look into these compositions and bring out these masterful kind of performances. Um, whereas I, I, I just paint pictures. That's a really good way of summing it up. It's just like painting pictures, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is really. It's, the yeah. whole thing is, you know, you, you are there to entertain. You are there to give people pleasure, and that's, that's what yeah. Saturday's all about. Yeah, yeah. And, and coming back to Saturday and those pictures. Yeah. What can we expect? We've seen some of what's on the programme. We've got oh. a couple, uh, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings mm. and Gladiator. Any, any others you can... Yeah, I mean, it, I, I've, I've been really... Fun. I mean, I haven't done a, a, a set list or anything because I keep changing it every two seconds because we it's really funny. I, Morricone, well, we? yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so Morricone's in there yeah. um, because a lot of people would know Morricone, but yeah. if you said, oh, can you, do you know the theme yeah. tune to Cinema Paradiso? And most people would say no, but then you play yeah, it and go, oh, do you mean yeah, that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. um, you know, so, and that's just one of the most beautiful melodies. Oh, absolutely. And so if, if nothing else, if somebody who's come to see my concert, who went there purely to see and hear the theme tunes of Halo, Pokemon and Skyrim, which there, there is a certain generation, if they sit there and they listen to my concert and go, do you know that, that third piece that was really beautiful and they go oh, oh it's Ennio Morricone then it's exactly the same as somebody who's gone to see Ennio Morricone and they listen to the melody that's in Skyrim and go yeah. actually that was really beautiful oh, yeah. I'm going to change my attitude towards game yeah. music now. And that's, that's, that, that's what I did I have to listen to that Medal of Honor box set, you know with, listen to what Giacchino had done oh, it's just but you know some of the melodies are wonderful um the playing is extraordinary, and you know, the one thing I was going to do, which I can, um, a lot, I, I say I'm a big Gran Turismo fan. Oh right, yeah. Uh, my big education was okay. I'm going to play um, the last minute of Prokofiev's third piano sonata, yeah. and just watch people's reaction until they realised they were listening to the theme tune of Gran Turismo <laughs> played by Lang Lang, and then. You know, the same with, the, I think, the latest grant has, has Liebestraum. Yeah. It's marvellous. It's, it's, it's very interesting because we have all these yeah. preconceived ideas on absolutely everything. It's, it's interesting because 30 years ago, people would pick this up <coughs> from TV adverts. Oh, yeah. music playing in the yeah. background. Yeah. Oh, my you know, God. And, and that would sort of expand. Yeah. Well, that's, that, I mean, that's, that's the key of it, actually. You just put it on. The, I mean, the, the, the influence of the TV I mean I mean, the fact of the matter is Karl Orff's Carmina Burana oh, yeah. is one of the most famous pieces most yeah. performed in the world well I'll tell you right now if it hadn't been for Old Spice and Henry Cooper we wouldn't know it <laughs> yeah. I mean honestly we wouldn't know it. if it hadn't been for Platoon we wouldn't know a, um, uh, 
Samuel, Samuel Barber's um, Adagio. Yeah, we wouldn't know that. Yeah. There's a famous uh, Gorecki's Third Symphony, which is incredible. And it was at the top of the charts, what, about 15 years ago. It was in Gerard Depardieu's kind of main, first main film called Police. And they used this... It was, it's a famous... Uh, Jewish um, symphony where yeah. it was the most if anybody who never heard it, if you heard it you go oh my god it's beautiful but again it, it was just on a TV it was on a t- in a film and it still goes on it's true because we were talking we went to see 2001 the other day oh, the 50th anniversary wonderful yeah. is it really oh, Alex North came in to score the film yeah yeah yes. and then Stanley Kubrick always had in his mind he was going to use these classical yeah. pieces yeah and yeah, it must have been soul destroying for Alex Moore <laughs> to see these images, thinking, "Well, hang on a minute, that's um, you know the the Blue Danube, and yeah. that that's 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 back to Zarathustra, that's it, yeah. Yeah, and, and all of these." But it doesn't it work so well? It works oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But Jeff has got his original I've got, yeah, score, the CD, oh, yeah. and it's very yeah. very interesting, and it works. It really works, especially it's quite. Ethereal, some of it. Yeah. Well, somebody, it's funny, I was teaching, um, it's when I lived in Australia, I was teaching students about, I think I gave them Pink Floyd's medal. Yes. There's all these conspiracy theories that, that Kubrick listened to that and pieced together great big chunks of that film. And if you play medal and watch this huge chunk of the film, absolutely everything is synchronised to medal. Now, whether or not that's like a trick of the ears and the eyes, I don't know, but they, they say, ask Wikipedia, because Wikipedia my, never lies. favourite albums, I'm going to go back and have a look at that. It's, it's, it's on there. It's, Wasn't there a thing with Dark Side of the Moon linked to The Wizard of Oz? Yes. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Still, yeah. yeah. Yeah, probably back to the to the um, concert. Oh, that one, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in there. It must have been a tough selection process. It must have been things you think, well, I'd like to put that in. I just yeah. haven't got the no, time. It, yeah, I mean, it's really hard because um, obviously I wanted to take the easy route and just do this kind of wonderful cinema album that I didn't just replace it with other people, which was great because I've got all the arrangements and I, and I have been paid for those. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> um, so when people Help. started going. And of course, there was a wonderful man uh, who's departing this year, sadly, My- Myrig Bowen, who was the artistic director of the uh, festival. And so I met up with him quite a few times, and I'll never forget the time we were sitting in the cafes in Cheltenham, and I said, Look, and it'll be cinema music, and it'll be lovely, and it'll be lush, and da, da, And you know what? And I'll, I might put, do some game music. And I'll never forget it. He went, And what's that then? <laughs> <laughs> and he was lovely, he was really genuine, because he, you know, he, he just never. Yeah. Never had, you know, why, why would somebody, if you're in a classical world, why would you actually even con- have a con- concept that there's anything of value? Yeah. Um, and it was lovely. I wasn't putting him, he was wonderful and he was really intrigued by that point. He then went to the festival, this was like last or two years ago, and they went, oh no, we couldn't possibly have that kind of music in the festival. And they've changed their tune. So so Saturday, actually, very monumental, and you know, hats off to them that they're letting wow. me do it, because I think they think I'm absolutely bonkers, but I'm determined. No, I'm determined that everyone who's there, or as I said before, really nice. most people who are there are people who would not go to the yeah. Cheltenham oh. Music Festival, which is a great shame. We, yeah. we, should, yeah. we should be embracing. We can't go to the Jazz Festival mm. and, and all that, but... Um, you know, ooh, there's so much beautiful music out oh, there. Oh, absolutely. We're yeah. going to be there supporting you. So yeah, we'll be there. Yeah. yeah, we're three rows from the front, so watch out. Oh, good <laughs> God. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're as in firing distance. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Doug. Um, <laughs> I'll be wearing my vest, don't <laughs> No, no, we're really... No, I think it's really good, because I told the um, Dominic Cotterick Radio Glossary, he said, oh, so what's going to happen about the football? And I said, well, if, Eng- <laughs> if England win, I'll, I'll do um, Chariots of Fire, because I think that will be oh, very yes. apt. If we lose, I'm going to play the theme tune from the bridge. 
But what I'm hoping is, is I really am hoping, is to create this as a template for me to take it to any festival. I, I believe, I honestly believe that Cheltenham is unique in the fact that there is this common divide between what people presume is jazz, what people have to go with, what's folk, what's literature, da, da, da. oh, classical music, oh, that's for rich intellects, and of course that's, that's yeah. rubbish, and, yeah. Yeah. and I believe that's pretty well everywhere. And, and you preempted my question on that, actually, <laughs> oh. because we got a lot of listeners all over the UK, <laughs> and you know, would, do you have any plans for other of these concerts, mm. and where would you like to stage them? No, I'd like to stage them anywhere. I mean, if I can go to, the, the, the plan being that I would take this um, and pick up lo- young talent in every single town that I went to and yeah. go give everybody a chance because I think yeah. everybody should have a time. Yeah. it may not be you know they, they may be they'll be better in five years time but at this point when people are embarking on a career Absolutely. why not have a no. memory that you yeah. stood in the chunk town all in front of your peers yeah. and whatever exactly. and done it so I've uh, got a, be- a beautiful saxophone player from the um, Cotswold School um, Laura Harrison and she'll be going off to uh, Guildhall next year so she's doing the Morricone, the um, Cinema Paradiso, and Schindler's List, which will be beautiful. Uh, and then I have um, a young tenor, jazz tenor, who's going off to Leeds University up there to study jazz singing. So he'll be doing um, Moon River and the theme from The Godfather, which will be would be lovely. Yeah, yeah. No, it'd be, so I've got, you know, so when you go from I've got The Godfather and I've got the theme tune from Skyrim and Pokemon, and I've got Game of Thrones, and I've got you can see I'm yes. just putting a bit of variation so nobody can go. Oh, well, I didn't like any of that music. There must be. Some. Then you yeah, if you throw enough darts, you must hit the board eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Game you. of Thrones, another fantastic. Game of Thrones is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. I, I can't pronounce the chap's name. Is it uh, Ram- right, Ram- Ram- Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And he's got the Westworld theme as well now. Oh yeah, no, he's an amazing piece. Music. I saw. I was in Prague doing a session, and I saw one of his scores come in, and there was nothing on it. It was just like long, very, very. In fact, you could have fallen asleep. But you know, it's all about writing the theme, and that's a fantastic thing, and it just really, really works. And uh, he, he, he did a film a few years ago called Pacific Rim. Oh, did he do that? Uh, okay. Yeah, and his yeah. music on that is amazing. Is he... And I, I was listening to an interview with uh, Guillermo del Toro, yeah. and he was just praising his music. To, oh, to, okay. Uh, and it, again, it's a genuinely rousing yeah. sort of action type theme. Yeah. yeah. Very well done. No, I think, and um, what's his name? Alexander, you know his name, Alexander Dupla? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he, he's the genius around at the moment. Have you seen Death of Stalin? Oh, yes. yes. I mean, yeah. the score of that is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, to take that and kind of go well I'm going to temp it on Prokofiev's and Shostakovich and most of it sounds just like that except that it isn't it's him yeah at this stage I haven't lost the words though. <laughs> uh, we really oh we'll be on Saturday <laughs> <laughs> if I press the wrong button I'll be, there's, there's a lot of technical stuff involved in this show so yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. well you've got our support so Thank we'll be you. there cheering you on but we you know again with only a couple of days to go to the event we really appreciate you giving yes. up your oh, you very much. Much. Thank Thank you coming and yeah. it's been a fantastic pleasure to speak so thank you very much thank you my pleasure an amazing and talented chap the concert was an absolute blast I loved it I have now found a new appreciation for games music the piece... hey. <laughs> hey, I was surprised the pieces from Skyrim and others were wonderful so much more detail than I expected the use of the local young talent was another brilliant idea which paid off oh yes the standards for me were where my heart will go on from Titanic, 
When She Loved Me from Toy Story, and that young lad at the end with the songs Moon River and Speak Softly Love from the Godfather. All in all, a tremendous night. One final point, and you probably picked this up from the interview, my questions about Schindler's List theme being played with a saxophone rather than a violin proved I was wrong. It worked like a dream. As I say, a great night. Now, the Cheltenham Festivals do a lot of these tie-ins with aspects of cinema, and we look forward to talking more about this in the lead-up to this year's Literature Festival. Graham, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, I would pretty much mirror your comments, Jeff. All of the uh, young people were incredible, um, really fantastic. The young lady, Laura Harrison, I think it was her name, was an incredible saxophone player, so young. The level of professionalism really impressed me. The orchestra got the uh, music for the entire concert at about five o'clock in the evening and it started at 7.30 and it was note perfect. I was just so impressed. Hmm, thanks for that, guys. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm starting to feel like that Michael Collins chap. No, not the Irish oh. revolutionary. The man left behind orbiting the moon when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin sneaked down for the first moon landing, which is an apposite analogy as Jeff and Graham recently popped along to our local Cineworld, fully armed with recording equipment to find out what's coming up for the rest of the summer. Here are Jeff and Graham, without me, naturally, I really have to retire soon, talking to cinema manager Steve Wright. We do love you, Neil, don't worry. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Graham. <laughs> Hello, it's Jeff and Graham here, your roving at the Flicks team. This month we are very excited to be talking to some of the team at our local Cineworld Cinema. And this is where we see the vast, if not all, of the films that we currently review. Hi Steve, and welcome to the show. Hello. So Steve, what films are you looking forward to showing us over the next couple of months? So we've got some really big films coming out over the next month or so. It's coming back, Mamma Mia, here we go again. That's released on the 20th of July, uh, and we will be showing it in IMAX, so we're really excited to be having it on the big screen with the incredible sound system. And that's all the original cast back with Cher as well, I believe. Indeed it is, yes. Uh, so they all return again. Uh, Christine Baranski, uh, Amanda Seyfried, and also all of the other cast from the original will be returning. Pierce Brosnan and uh, his singing returns as well. Oh, fantastic. Oh. Graham, I bet you're ordering that CD oh, already. I am, yeah, yeah, it's top of my list. I think. <laughs> uh, that's closely followed by actually, we've just gone on sale for pre bookings for Mission Impossible Fallout. So Tom's back. And that and, I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. So he's back in his role as, uh, as Ethan Hunt. Looks fantastic. Uh, I'm interested to see the scenes where he actually did himself an injury. And that's and in the film, I believe, as well. They have left it in. They have, yes. Uh, and I believe Sean Harris is returning as the as the villain. Um, you've got. Henry Clavel as uh, one of the villains in there as well. So, yeah, it looks tremendous. Yeah, fantastic cast for that. Uh, Simon Pegg returning as well with uh, Bing Rames. The one I think I'm most looking forward to is The Meg. I think it's going to be brilliant in IMAX. For those that don't know, it's about a team that go out in a deep-sea submersible. They come across a massive creature shark-like creature it's one of those similar to sort of piranha if anyone 
saw yes, that yeah, in the past. Yeah. I think it's going to be a, a fun... Yeah, speaking of Piranha, I'm old enough to have seen the original in the cinema. I do remember <laughs> watching it, not in the cinema, but uh, as, a, as a child. Yeah, so that one, again, looks really good. I mean, Jason Statham against the Megalodon. What more can you ask for? And, and the trailer seems to be having a great deal of fun with it as well. Yes, it doesn't look like it's taken itself too seriously yeah. which yeah. I think it has to do and it's going to work really really well. My, my understanding was that they were going to release it originally earlier in the year when everybody got to see it and saw how good it was they decided this is a definite summer film. Release date has changed a few times and uh, we've got it down for a release on the 10th of August for oh, that one so a little while to wait but not too long. Then we move on to Hotel Artemis this one's again released 20th July it's a slightly different film from what we're used to showing, but I think it will do very well. Uh, Jodie Foster, it's also got Dave Batista, who people will know as Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. It looks, again, it looks very funny. I'm quite looking forward to this. I've not seen too much other than the trailer that's recently been released, but it does look very good, and Jodie Foster. Yeah, she certainly glammed down, if you so to speak, in that in that trailer. Yeah. So that, that that's interesting. I know, Graham, this is one you're particularly oh, looking forward yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Are you showing the Happy Time Murders? We're hoping that we will be showing it. It's something that seems to have a lot of buzz around it. But keep an eye on our Facebook page and our website and uh, we will keep people updated through there. For the kids as well, we've got Hotel Transylvania 3. I know I'm going to end up going to see it, having three young children myself. I don't (laughs) think I'll have a lot of choice. So it's the same cast back again. It's fun family comedy that uh, those with young children... I would urge them to take them along to watch that because the grown-ups are going to enjoy it as well. Absolutely. Great vocal cast. You've got Adam Sandler, Steve Buscemi, you know, all in there. And I, I've really enjoyed the first two, so I'm yeah. looking forward to the yeah. same. Yeah, likewise, first two I thought were fantastic. So I'm looking forward to this one as well. Finally, sort of from us, we've got the 3rd of August, Ant-Man and the Wasp, continuing yeah, yeah. with the superhero theme that seems to be everywhere over the last few years. I really enjoyed Ant-Man. I thought it was a very underrated film, Appeared off the radar a little bit but I thought it was fantastic this one I think looks even better Evangeline Lilly coming back in as the Wasp as well as Paul Rudd returning as Ant-Man so it looks very very good and that as I say is the 3rd of August release there's some really, really good stuff coming, I think, in the cinema. And it's been... I was looking at some of the financial records for the summer season so far, and they've been tremendous, even with the World Cup, which has just dropped right in the middle of it. I think for the second half, once the World Cup starts to tail off, everything's picking back up again. So it looks tremendous. Absolutely. We're, we've had a very, very good start to the year ourselves here in Cheltenham, and we were concerned that the World Cup might impact on you know film goers coming into the cinema because the sunshine the weather the way it's been plus the uh the world cup it tends to equal lower admissions but we're still doing yeah. very well with some some top quality films out there and i do agree i think once the world cup tails off there's some fantastic product to come over the next few months yeah. that's going to do really well there's a little aside on that, not being English, so I tend to avoid the England games. Um, I came to watch Ocean's 8, and there was still a good crowd in there, so it's clearly a lot like me that are either not English or not interested in uh, in the football. Um, yes, uh, so it was, it was a good crowd, and it's a good film. It, yes. Again, another film that I think, uh, along the lines of the Ghostbusters reboot with the females, everyone was like, how, how can you put female leads in these kind of roles and remake films in that way. I've not seen it myself yet, but it is one on my 
to watch list very soon because I think that the few clips I've seen Sandra Bullock looks amazing in the lead role mm. in that and the ensemble cast surrounding her oh, is phenomenal it's tremendous I mean Anne Hathaway is clearly loving playing a lovey essentially uh, whereas Helena Bonham Carter and Sarah Paulson uh, are just tremendous and again greatly enjoying their roles and it comes across as good do you have any special one day events coming i know the unlimited screenings are always very popular in terms of one day events we show a lot of live events here so we have the royal shakespeare company live uh, romeo and juliet as well as the big one the andre rue maastricht 2018 concert that sells out very quickly and that's showing 28th and 29th of July. The old favourite, not my favourite to be honest, but uh, I know a lot of people out there do love his music. Cliff Richard, 60th anniversary concert. We've got that one coming up on the 12th and 14th of October. Well, the third member of our group, Neil, who unfortunately couldn't be here today, he's a huge Cliff Richard fan, <laughs> so I imagine he will be there straight for that one. Probably already got his tickets. He already got his yeah. tickets, yeah. Yeah, we've got some national theatre lives coming up as well yeah. and they tend to bring in big names um, we've had a couple that have had Surya and McKellen they've been massive just because it's him and how does that work do you do you get beamed live to you so you just turn on a feed and but in terms of the live events it, it, as they're happening live it is satellite fed into us there's only about a half a second delay from as it's actually happening so it's like being there and I always say it's like having the best seat in the house because yes. you will not get views like you do in the cinema actually no. sat in the opera house or the theatre mm. so the kit we've got up there is incredible how it works I, I've worked in cinema nearly 20 years and I don't really understand it but it's clever and I know that uh, people really enjoy coming and watching it fully well, if we fully get the digital. opportunity we'd love to talk to you more about yes, that yeah. and, uh, yeah, and absolutely. get that out to our we audience we did a, a feature in the podcast on the future of cinema Right, and okay. one of the things we actually mentioned was live performances. It'd be nice to, mm. to wrap that up in a future episode. Yeah, talk about that. It. Well, we know and, and certainly be very impressed by all the work Cheltenham City will do for charity. So are there any charity events coming up and what do you want people to look out for? So we always work with Variety Club all year round. But each year for the past two years... And again, we're doing the same this year. We are raising funds for BBC's Children in Need Appeal. Uh, We've already had two of our managers last week. They went to do a uh, 5K inflatable fun run, and they thoroughly enjoyed that. Fundraising is going very well, considering it's early days and we're still a little while off. Rob, the general manager here, has said that he will shave his head if he manages to raise £250 himself. So we're all piling money into that at the moment because we want to get Rob to shave his head then I'm going slightly crazier and I'm giving all of the staff here the opportunity to design me a tattoo a no holds barred other than rude items and no wording but otherwise they can design me a tattoo and I will actually get that tattooed on my body one thing that always impresses me about Cheltenham City World is how well attended the screenings for older films are now we've been at screenings for 2001 and the Dambusters and both had very appreciative audiences and I noticed coming in this morning that you got an advert up there for the producers coming in early August 
Any any others planned? We're always looking at delivering for our customers. So we're not just all about the big blockbusters. We like to give our customers variety. There's no specific plans at the moment, but myself and Rob, who's the general manager here, we are looking into uh, alternate products or older products returning to us. Particularly in IMAX again, we're looking to bring back some of the films that have done really well over the past few months. Dunkirk possibly coming back. Greatest Showman, which was an absolute juggernaut, potentially looking at getting that one back as well. So it all depends on the availability and what's going on at the time, but we feel this is a prime opportunity for us over the summer months to bring back some classics. Is there anything else uh, that you'd like to bring to the attention of our audience that we haven't spoken about, and particularly, again, for the local area? I think for us, it's, you know, we, we want to be a big part of the Cheltenham community, and recently we had dinosaurs outside for the kids to enjoy, and these were the sort of big suits, All right. uh, animatronics, and the kids absolutely love that. We do regular sort of fun dress-up days to... Uh, to just give the kids something to come and enjoy on Saturday mornings for the M for J's. For the what, sorry? The movies for Juniors. Oh, right, okay. Uh, M for J's. So, yeah, this is our Movies for Juniors every Saturday morning. It's a slightly older kids' film that returns at a reduced price, and the kids absolutely love it. We try to do fun and games for them, either before or afterwards as well. Make an event of it. Any particular ones of those that stick in your mind for, that, Re- went, that you were really pleased with? Recently, we had Moana return the kids I, I don't know what it is about that film it is an absolute gold mine for children they love it that did really really well so much so that they our head office are looking at doing a Disney princess season um, oh, and fun. actually bringing back the classic Disney princesses so Cinderella uh, Snow White Aurora all of those coming back to the big screen so we're really quite looking forward to that and we've got a few things potentially in the pipeline where we can may even have the princesses themselves for the kids to come and meet oh fantastic brilliant brilliant idea well thank you very much for your time on this Steve and certainly some exciting things there to come we look forward to speaking to you in a couple of months time with what else is coming yeah really excited to to be working with you guys and getting word about the films out there and it's nice to see film fans being so passionate and doing things such as this podcast Uh, i think it's great really hope that uh, things take off and work really well Thank you, it deserves it. It's a great cinema. There we go. What a great guy Steve is, and we look forward to learning more about what's coming in future episodes. Neil, we will even try to get you there to meet the Disney princesses. Get lost. Yeah, you won't say that if Sleeping Beauty's there. Uh, Let's go over to the news desk for the latest movie stories before we get ourselves in trouble. (laughs) Uh, And after that remark, I think we had better raise the tone with the movie news. Did you know, Neil, that according to our listener feedback, this is one of our most popular features? Along with any time Jeff isn't speaking. (laughs) I see you have been studying our stats, Neil. Anyway, <laughs> this month we thought we could uh, would do a quick update on some of the more popular earlier stories before I talk about something new. I start with, oh, Jeff, not 
Gibson again. <laughs> you have sneaked in some Mel news into the update. Oh, great. To be honest, I noticed last month you were pining for Mel. <laughs> I saw that us? pining face, <laughs> so I had to restore your faith this time around. Pining face? That was pained face. Okay. <laughs> a couple of months ago, we mentioned Mel Gibson had made a film called The Professor and the Madman, in which he portrays James Murray, the editor of the Oxford English Dictionary in the 19th century. Sounds like a belter, this one. We also mentioned that the film's <laughs> release had been held up due to legal reasons. It appears the legal trouble, which revolves around where one scene should have been filmed, have been resolved, and we could finally get to see this potential Mel masterpiece later this year. I, I would add to that, Mel isn't happy about this. <laughs> Good. I'm well, happy. Us. Well, he's listened to the podcast. <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? Not, no, no, not, no, not no, good. No, Some not of the really, things we've no, said, no, no they're no, not no, good no, at all, no, really. He'd be coming after us. Um, Back to normality, right. And some brief casting news for you. Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious spin-off, has added Idris Elba to the cast as the lead villain and Vanessa Kirby, most famous for her performance as Princess Margaret in the Netflix series The Crown. You may also remember that over the last couple of months we have spoken about some of the World War II seafaring action films currently in production. There is Greyhound, starring Tom Hanks, which is set during the Atlantic campaign. That is due to open in the UK next March. Then, thanks again, Jeff, there is Destroyer, the Mel Gibson-directed movie about the USS Laffey during the Battle of Okinawa. Add to all that the recently announced Midway about one of the pivotal naval battles of World War II and arguably the point when the Americans turned the tide on the Japanese war effort. This battle, which took place in June 1942, was a confrontation between the big guns of Japan and America. And historian Sir John Keegan once called it the most stunning and decisive blow in the history of naval warfare. Well, Sir John Keegan did prefer battles won by superior firepower rather than tactics and cunning, I'm afraid. <laughs> when you were talking about something that big, you need a director who can make an epic, and they don't come much better than Roland Emmerich. His CV includes Independence Day, Stargate, The Day After Tomorrow, and 2012. Oh, good grief, 2012. The movie with that immortal line, The Neutrinos Have Mutated, one of the stupidest <laughs> movies ever made. Back to Midway. It's not the first time for this story. Is that correct, Jeff? Yeah, that is correct, Graham. But I just want to go back on your 2012 reference. I actually liked it. The only reason it's been laughed at now is because of a dyslexic film title maker. It meant to be 2021. See, it's going to happen. <laughs> anyway. No, Jeff, the neutrinos will never mutate. <laughs> no, they might do. <laughs> Nope. Trump said they could. Um, <laughs> and though that means they'll definitely will. Okay, I'll, you've persuaded me. Right. That's okay, logic. let's go back to Midway before we go into this. So this story's been filmed before, notably as a documentary called The Battle of Midway by legendary filmmaker John Ford, who was actually at the real event. Wow. Then again, as a feature imaginatively entitled, again, The Battle of Midway, <laughs> in 1976, which made extensive use of the real-life historical footage John Ford filmed, blending it in with real actors in the foreground. That 1970s film was an all-star cast, which include Henry Fonda as Admiral Nimitz, who will be played by Woody Harrelson in the new version, Christopher George as real-life hero Wade McCluskey. This time that role will be taken by oh, another Welsh actor, Luke Evans. Excellent chap. <laughs> One thing about this new version, you can guarantee we will not be using real footage. It 
will all be special effects now. Jeff, what have you got? Anything as spectacular as that? Well, funny you mentioned Luke Evans, really, because my story is about a film currently being made in Wales. There's nothing more spectacular than that. Graham, please wake me up when he's finished. <laughs> it's often one of his Welsh runs. Six one minutes two. to midnight is what I'm going to talk about. It's a new mystery thriller currently filming around Carmarthen. It has an all-star cast, which includes Eddie Izzard, Judy Dench, Jim Broadbent and James Darcy, who was last seen in Dunkirk. But Graham, you'll probably know him from his role in Marvel's Agent Carter. Yeah, yeah, he was very good as Jarvis. Yeah, Tony Stark's dad's butler. Go, blimey, there's a convoluted route. <laughs> Another good show, sadly cancelled just when it was getting interesting. But Oh, is that where they got the name Jarvis from that becomes yes, the computer? Yes, that's his computer, yeah. How boring. Uh, right, OK, let's go back <laughs> six minutes to midnight. Uh, it's based on true events. Which I, ha- I actually think, Neil, that he got us to read this whole bloody news section <laughs> just, just so we can one, one joke. Yeah. <laughs> six minutes to midnight. It's based on true events which happened during the summer of 1939. Augusta Victoria College has a special intake. They are the daughters of high-ranking Nazi officers. During the course of that summer of 1939, a teacher is murdered and suspicion falls on another teacher, Thomas Miller, played by Eddie Izzard, who then has to go on the run to try and prove his innocence. Such a high-profile cast and historic subject matter requires the skills of a special director. Step up Andy Goddard, best known for his work on Downton Abbey, there's the historical bit, and also, probably for the action scenes, his time on various Marvel Netflix series such as Iron Fist and The Punisher. Seems a bit extreme for a period thriller, but who knows? At least they've had marvellous weather for the filming over in Carmarthen, and I have seen pictures, guys, of Judy Dench out for an ice cream. <laughs> wow. I know. Top <laughs> that. This is me. Top that. Probably Top that. with th- hundreds and thousands. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Neil, over to your story oh, after that. Good. Actually, that six minutes to midnight sounds like a really good plot. I, I think it'll yeah. be a good yeah. film. Good yeah. cast. Um, this month I'm doing less movie news and more predictions. I'm going to give an at-the-flicks prediction as to who could be nominated for Actor and Actress Awards in the next Oscar season. Is that like at-the-flicks version of Bet365 and you're actually Ray Winston? (laughs) More like Mystic Meg even down to that dress. (laughs) We'll see who's laughing when I'm proven correct. First up, let's talk about Best Actor Awards. There's already a lot of buzz around Ryan Gosling's performance in real-life American hero Neil Armstrong, the first Mm. man to walk on the moon in the film First Man. Well, I've already bagged that as my movie to review for the October podcast. Can't wait. (laughs) Also, Robert Redford is excellent in his last film before retiring called The Old Man and the Gun, the true story of Forrest Tucker, who escaped from San Quentin at the age of 70 and went on to undertake a string of bank robberies. Sorry to cut in on you there, Neil, but oh, I've just learned today I'm that right. that film has now got a December release in the UK. However, my winning prediction is Steve Carell. His performance in Welcome to Marwen, the true story about a survivor of a vicious attack in his unique therapy, is supposed to be astounding. But that's not all. At the end of the year, Mr Carell can also be seen in Beautiful Boy, yet another true story. He plays Father David Sheff, who helped his son through drug addiction. And if that isn't enough, there is more. Steve is in backseat, in which he plays Donald Rumsfeld. Wow. Talk about range and stretching yourself artistically. 
Absolutely. A gay man with PSD, a strong, committed father, and a warmonger. I thought Carell was a comedian. That said, Rumsfeld's always made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> He's a long way from the office now. Yeah. Who, Rumsfeld? Rumsfeld. <laughs> <laughs> For actress, one film gives two contenders. A new version of Mary, Queen of Scots, was filmed in Gloucestershire last year. Mary Stewart is played by Circe Ronan, and Elizabeth I by Margot Robbie, two powerhouse actresses. But my pick for next year is Taraji P. Henson, recently so good in Hidden Figures. She is in yet another true story called The Best of Enemies, playing civil rights activist Anne Atwater and her battle with C.P. Ellis, the head of the Ku Klux Klan, as played by Sam Rockwell from this year's Three Billboards. Oh, that does sound good. Taraji Henderson has been brilliant in everything I've seen her in. And standing off against Sam Rockwell sounds like perfect award material to me. Given the current state of America, I think this film is destined for a lot of awards when it comes out. I think they're all great choices, Neil. Some good picks there, and I think you're absolutely right about Steve Carell. I thought he deserved it a few years ago for his stunning performance in Foxcatcher. However, for actress and possibly also film, watch out for On the Basis of Sex, the true story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and who battle against sexism in the justice system of the 50s and 60s. Word is, Felicity Jones is remarkable in that one, and again, the film captures the mood of the American nation and the current Me Too movement. That was fun. Let's go to the movie reviews. If there was an Incredibles 3... That could be our alternative name for this podcast. Well, I like to think of us named after that George Clooney movie, Three Kings. Possibly Three Stooges. I think I'm with you on that one, Neil. Let's return to Incredibles 2. Brad Bird is back as writer and director to his original 2004 film. Yes, it was made 14 years ago. Now I feel old. You are old, Graham. Thanks, mate. Even though the amount of real time has elapsed, Incredibles 2 actually starts at the very moment the first Incredibles ends. The mole-like underminer, voiced by Pixar good luck charm John Ratzenberger, is preparing a daring bank robbery when the Incredible family, aided by Frozone, Samuel L. Jackson managed to thwart him. However, in doing so, they cause carnage in the city, and as a result, the superhero band stays in force. Enter the very rich superhero fans, the Devers, who plan to raise the superhero profile and get the ban overturned. Only issue, they just need one superhero for this public relations exercise, and their choice is Elastigirl, Holly Hunter. Mr. Incredible, Craig T. Nelson, has to stay at home and look after the kids. Will the role reversal arrangements work? And just who is the supervillain Screenslaver, who is determined to stop Elastigirl from achieving success? Sounds great fun, and the movie has been a massive box office hit stateside. Tell us, Neil, have Pixar hit gold again? Yes, they've got another veritable gold mine, Graham. As you said, the film starts with the underminer, and each one of the family wanting to get involved with a fun game of past the baby in a game of baby tag. I'm afraid this is spoiler laden, sorry. The second outing for the Parr family is as good as the first. I loved it from beginning to end. Okay, let's bring this to earth. Oh, shut Neil, up. I have to say I was Back very down. This disappointed. This is my review. Yeah, it is your review, but I'm having my say. I'm just doing a UDI thing here. I love the original and, I, and I'm sure we agree on that. Yes. And that was from Pixar's Golden Period. This for the cash sequel added nothing to it. It's <laughs> 
overlong, lacking in ideas, and given, and God forbid me, I'm supporting Marvel here, given where Marvel are now, at least ten years behind the curve, did I thank you both for making me watch another bloody superhero movie? <laughs> I think that's a bit harsh, Jeff. It's a kid's movie. I liked it. It's not as good as the first one. It lags a bit in the middle act, but it's not bad. Neil and I saw it in a packed theatre and the kids behind us seemed to be having a wonderful time. They loved every minute of it. The physical comedy is fun and entertaining. However, for adults, the villain's motivation is cliched and the reveal is a bit obvious. I think they had a great kids movie and they tried to weave some adult components into it. That was definitely the weakest part of the movie. Unlike Jeff, I don't consider this a cash sequel. The initial film had a good storyline with plenty of layers. The sequel has the same. We even get to empathise with the baddie. People shouldn't wait for the Incredibles. They should go out and do incredible things themselves. Rather than watch the film. The film starts with Michael Giacchino's score. He of Force Awakens, Tomorrowland and Super 8. It's bright and fun. Hooks you from the get-go. OK, now this is one area I can agree oh, with both of you. Oh, thank goodness for that. To me, this is the highlight of the film. As Incredibles 2 is set in an alternate 1964, he has channeled what sounds to me like the music of John Barry and Jerry Goldsmith from that period. Oh, that the rest of the film, outside of the music, had been that inventive. Ignoring Jeff, I liked the setup with the Dever siblings. The twist is a bit obvious. Bob Odenkirk, salesman, Windever, uh, close enough to Endeavour and Catherine Keener's Evelyn Dever, Evil Endeavour. And if you've got, got any that tape, one. my sides are splitting. <laughs> I only got that when we're searching for the review. Bob, Helen, and the family work with and against each other very well. Teenage daughter, hyperactive kid, baby, and Samuel Ellers, Lucius, all excellent. Jack Jack, however, steals the show from this fight with the raccoon, which is brilliant to meeting Edna Mode, Brad Bird again. Why so little of her? She was the source of inspiration for when Andy Warhol for crying out loud. The interaction between Edna and Jack Jack with Bob in between, walking down a corridor, priceless. Oh, yeah. Edna provides Bob with the controller for Jack Jack. Couldn't we all have done with that with them and the children were babies? I could do with that now so I could see Neil oh, see sense in this review. If you had seen the short from the first movie, Jack Jack Attacks, you'll know a lot about his powers in the film. The family don't know anything and that worked really well. So that Jack Jack Attacks, that was, oh, 14 years ago. <laughs> Now, on the vocal work, I'm sorry to say, Neil, nothing stood out for me. Craig T. Nelson sounded tired. Well, of course he was. Yeah, he is in his 70s now. Um, no, he was meant to be tired. He couldn't get any sleep. That was the whole he went, point of the joke. He went three days without sleep. That's he's, tired. He's still in his 70s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and going three days without... I'll give over. Right. The yeah, two I, I like, and I do uh, yet again, and I'm scared of myself, I'm agreeing with Neil... Brad Burt as Edna Mode, I thought was really good. And also, I don't know the actress who played Frozone's long-suffering wife, but she was very funny. The Jack Shack sequences, I mean, that's from a kid's movie. I thought the, the voice acting was good. I, I, I think the tiredness came from the fact that Bob had not slept for a week because he was a single parent. Edna is still the standout voice for me. She's absorbed, prima donna, arty diva, just a perfect portrayal. Writer and director Brad Bird moves things along really fast for a two-hour film, Fight Talk, Fight Talk. But the film has so much more than that. Oh, now he's going to interrupt again. Yeah, I am going to interrupt. And actually, I'm going to agree. Uh, Brad Bird, I'm a huge Brad Bird fan. The first Incredibles, The Iron Giant and Tomorrowland were all fantastic. 
if Tomorrowland had been a hit, and it deserved to be, oh, yeah. then we would not be watching Incredibles 2. All I can say is this. This has been a huge hit, so maybe Mr. Bird can go back to making something worthwhile that people will like. Wow, Jeff. Finally an insightful point. Yes, that is interesting. Tomorrowland, with its pro-science and a better tomorrow for all message, just didn't strike a chord with the American public. I do agree. If it had been a hit, he would have moved on to other things. He took a knockback with Tomorrowland and went back to his safe place with uh, The Incredibles. Interesting point, Jeff. Thanks. A quick word on Bound. The short before the film, written and directed by Domi Shi, and references her experiences with her own mother. Her mother used to say she wished she could eat she up so she knew where she was at all times. And my mother was happy when I left. I know she feels. It was a shock when she eats the dumpling. I was shocked. Where are we going with this? And it turns out it's a matter for the sun. Ah. Bao also explores the theme of interracial dating. By the end, the fiance has taken her shoes off at the door. To show she respects Chinese traditions and proves adept at making dumplings. Wow, how bold for a Pixar short. Stunning. I think wow is the word I'm going to use because yet again I've agreed with Neil. <laughs> it is definitely worth seeing. I would say that the first time I watched Bao, I didn't understand all the cultural references. I had to read that to deep my appreciation of the film, which I'm sure now will be at least nominated for the best Oscar for animated short next awards season. It is a classic. Yeah, I loved uh, Bow as well. Finally, something all three of us agree on. Bloody mm. hell. Wish yeah. I'd left the cinema at that point. <laughs> Back to The Incredibles. This essentially, like the first movie, is the story of a family. Bob's crash-bang style of fixing things no longer works, but he is Mr. Incredible. OK, the film is funny, mainly Jack-Jack. Slapstick comedy running through the whole film and a thrill ride in the chase sequences. It exploits family life and has way more layers than we have right to expect. So here's the thing, Neil, and based on what you just said there. We haven't got what we got the first time around. The first Incredibles movie used superheroes as a way to examine a dysfunctional family. For example, Violet had a superpower of invisibility which matched her teenage girl wish of not being there or not being seen by her peers as she felt she didn't fit in. Helen the mother could stretch and that reflected her lifestyle as she stretched to make the family function on a day-to-day basis. The sequel has none of that. The older two children, to be honest, they don't even need to be there. Yeah, that's the point. Bob has to stretch to be able to handle the family instead of Helen. The children have to had to prove to their parents that they'd grown into their powers and were capable of saving the day. They'd become true supers. Um, you missed the point there, because Elastigirl stretches. Mr Incredible doesn't stretch. Yes, but he has to stretch instead of using his powers. He has to be able to be in three places at once to deal with three kids who each okay. have different problems, which he's not used to doing. He's used to hitting something straight on and bashing it in. It's so not a straight metaphor, it's a stretch metaphor. So you, oh, okay, so so you guys are saying this film is actually cleverer because it's using his metaphors in that way. And may I say that is complete nonsense. <laughs> and why are we not surprised? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the first film had plenty of space and a clever sense of period. It's laid on with a trowel as of the plot. And yet again, I've got to defend Marvel. So thanks to a pair of you for this. <laughs> 
Anytime, I'm amazed Jeff. the Anytime. makers of Captain America Civil War aren't sued. They're the same people. How can they sue uh, themselves? Yeah, so in that case, they've repeated themselves. <laughs> That's definitely lazy writing. And is yours, because you just said that America Civil War should sue Disney. <laughs> Uh, children, children, can we get back to yeah, the plot? Yeah, yeah, go on then, I'll sorry. Just, I, okay, I'll end here by saying looks shocking like, and so disappointing. So, it looks like you're out of step with Phil the Bear again, Jeff. Here's what he has to say. As with the best Pixar films, it works on lots of levels. The underlying theme of parents being superheroes starts off subtly and then is literally explained to us. And despite being aimed at children, it arguably is the most adult superhero film this year. Okay, Jeff and Graham, time to sum up and quickly, Jeff. Okay, so I'll go first then. Oh, again. So you can both fawn over Incredibles 2 when I've finished and just say how right you are and how wrong I am when it's the other way round. It is a very poor sequel, like pretty much every sequel Pixar makes, notable exception being Toy Story. However, just remember this, and this is a warning, guys. Neil had his predictions earlier. I'm giving you one now. Toy Story 4 should have been released this year. They've got problems and they've pushed it back a year. That ain't good. If you're planning to take the kids to it this summer, watch Bow, the wonderful short, then either try and sleep through it or find if the cinema's got a bar and go there and wait for the kids to come out. It's more rewarding, trust me. Oh, you keep looking back to the first film. I'm with Edna on this one. You have to look at this movie in isolation. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. This film will be huge. In the first screening I went to, the audience applauded at the end. They did where I went. Pixar make their films accessible to adults, and this is no exception. As I said at the top, I loved it beginning to end. Okay, end of the review. Others, other films to watch that are similar or similar thing themes. Many of the Pixar films, and for reference, Toy Story 2, the only Pixar sequel better than Incredibles 2, Guardians <coughs> of the Galaxy, Captain America, Civil War, The Addams Family, Little Miss Sunshine, The Royal Tenenbaums, Krampus, and so to Jeff's review. Hang on a minute. No, I've got to stop this. Yeah. You've seen, you've seen Krampus? Yes, of course I have. It's a horror film. It was a little scary. It's a horror film. It was a little scary. Okay, fair enough. All right. And okay. so to Jeff's review. As we said in the intro, Jeff was going to be reviewing Mary Shelley. However, as that film hasn't opened locally, he has swapped to another iconic female, Whitney. Jeff seems to have a habit of picking films that don't open. Maybe we should pick for him in future. Then at least we can sidestep all of this horror rubbish he keeps threatening us Good with. Good thinking. Yeah, very good thinking. And Jeff, those hand gestures aren't going to help your cause. <laughs> Back to the replacement film, Whitney. It's a documentary about troubled singer Whitney Houston, made by British director Kevin MacDonald. Mr MacDonald has the form in this documentary genre, having previously made an excellent film about Bob Marley, simply called Marley. The story of Whitney Houston's dramatic rise to the top and equally dramatic fall, leading to our untimely death at the age of 48, is well known. However, Kevin MacDonald made this film with the participation of the family, with an aim into providing a real insight into the character, life and death of Whitney Houston. There are interviews with family members who have never spoken publicly since her death and one revelation as to the core of her troubles which is both startling and horrifying. So Jeff, does this documentary get through the usual clichés of a musical biography to give us a true insight into Whitney Houston? 
I think it does, Neil. I was never a great Whitney Houston fan. However, I think this gives a fascinating insight into what went so wrong in her life and gave me a greater appreciation of who she was as both person and performer. Part of the reason for this depth of understanding is because the film was put together with the Houston family support. It is, if you pardon the pun, as we'll see as the review goes on, a sobering experience. Yeah, I do pardon the pun, and you're right. This was a hard watch. At its core, this is not a new story. Superstars die from drug overdoses all the time. It could be Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, or Jimi Hendrix. We're all talking about Jim Morrison, lead singer of The Doors, died in exactly the same manner, overdose and drowned in the bath. A hard watch indeed, but pieced together really well. Yeah, yeah, and and going into it in a bit more depth, Whitney Houston's story is told through interviews, mainly by her family and by some other key people. Interestingly, her mother, who has never been interviewed on screen about her daughter before, says how she stuck up for Whitney when she was bullied at school. Then as the film progresses, you learn something quite shocking, and they never go back to Cece, her mother, for comment. I would have liked to have seen that explored a bit further. What does come through in these interviews, and bear in mind this was made, as we've said many times, with family support, is how complicit her family were in her problems. Her brothers admit they gave her drugs and also admitted they themselves were big drug users. One of them even said, in a bit of bragging, that Bobby Brown was a lightweight when compared to them. Yeah, it's not something I'd really want to brag about, to be honest. And it's the only time Bobby Brown comes out well in this one, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, to be fair, the brothers do come across as interesting people, human with faults. As for her father, who, of course, couldn't be interviewed because he's dead, well, that's another story. He's a real piece of work. John Russell Houston, remember that name. He was a local government fixer and, I guess, a conman. He slept around as much as he could get away with. And when Whitney's career started taking off, he saw her as a cash cow. His drive for money makes her an interesting comparison to Amy Winehouse's father, as she is portrayed in the film Amy. Then there's Bobby Brown, who amazingly agreed to be interviewed for this film, often portrayed as the villain in other versions of the story and in the media, and here doesn't help himself by avoiding questions on drugs. Now, he's without doubt an odd character, Certainly jealous of his wife, whose fame continued to soar as his fell away. A flawed human being at best. But MacDonald says of him, I felt sorry for Bobby more than anyone else. I think he's a bit of an idiot, but I don't think he's a bad person. What would have been interesting to complete the circle on all these interviews would have been a few words from Robin Crawford. She has kept quiet since Whitney's death. Not surprising given the lesbian assertion within the film Whitney about her friendship with Whitney Houston. She is not portrayed well by the family here, although my impression was she really cared for Whitney Houston. And she actually worked for her money. She came out of the film really well, I thought. Yeah, earlier uh, I mentioned Amy Winehouse, Kirk Cobain and, and Jimi Hendrix. However, in those other cases, the problem was serious drug dependency. The case of of Whitney, her family were very complicit in her death. I mean, from her sexually abusive aunt to her criminal father and finally her immature, violent, philandering husband, Bobby Brown. Brown comes over in this movie as a real dick. (laughs) 
A beautiful young woman with an amazing voice and an incredible work ethic brought low because she was surrounded by a family of repulsive lowlifes. I thought it was terrible. The interviews are really clever, each one of them slowly but surely proving they are complicit in her death. Bobby Brown wasn't the husband she needed. She needed a hug and reassurance. He gave her tantrums. Mm. That's a good insight, Neil. Anyway, moving on. It's nice to get a chance to talk. Well, you know, so all of this, and and as we've seen you, all of this is really well put together. And thanks for that goes to director Kevin MacDonald. Now, I Mm. once met him. Actually, he's a really interesting guy. He has a talent for documentaries. We've mentioned Marley. I would also recommend Touching the Void, uh, the mountain climbing film. Brilliant. Uh, he's also good at uh, as feature filmmakers. The Eagle uh, is one of his, well worth seeing. Now, his conditions for working on this film were that he had final cut, even though the family committed to the project. So Kevin MacDonald was both focused and ruthless in putting this film together. He cut many interviews, which didn't add anything. Jennifer Hudson did quite a bit in the interview, and that all went onto the cutting room floor. The other interesting thing he does is cut in stock footage of the 80s and 90s. So he gives us that sense of period to the story. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the excellent direction by Kevin MacDonald. This is not as good as his documentary on Bob Marley, but that might be because I'm more of a fan of Marley than Whitney, really. <laughs> I like Kevin MacDonald. As you say, Jeff, he was ruthless in his mm. making of this film, and it worked. It skipped along, but not many ma- laughs, mind. You've seen this story many times before. However, one twist is that reinforcing of time and race. And for me, one of the highlights of the film was the comments about the making of the bodyguard. Kevin Costner gives a revealing interview which states the interracial relationship in the film is never mentioned. And for a time period when we were getting films like Love Field, that is really important, especially as the bodyguard went on to be a major box office hit. And by the way, guys, the script was not written for Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner. Do you know who Last Jedi and Empire Strikes Back writer Lawrence Kasdan originally wrote it for? No idea. Here we go again. And you're going to tell us, aren't you? (laughs) It was Steve McQueen and Diana Ross. It was actually (laughs) written back in the 70s. Again, that whole interracial relationship thing adds another dimension there. So that section for me was one of the most positive and fascinating aspects of the film. On the other hand... We have the historical sections, which really annoyed me, particularly where Al Sharpton was concerned. The very reverend Baptist minister Al Sharpton jumped on the bandwagon of people who were jealous of Whitney's success. They called her not black enough, and Sharpton added to this by nicknaming her Whitey Houston. This all came to a head as depicted in the film when she was booed at the 1989 Soul Train Awards and the black radio stations refused to play her music. But what made me genuinely angry, and I'm banging the table here, so I'll stop, <laughs> when I was watching the film was the moment Al Sharpton was eulogising her after a early death. This hypocrisy makes me sick, and I will stop there before I say something that Graham will have to cut out. Well, you're close to an edit, Jeff. <laughs> so, this brings me on to the two most shocking aspects of the film. The short and tragic life of her daughter, Bobby Christina Brown. Mm, terrible. Absolutely. As one lady starts telling that story, she breaks down on camera. It's not hard to see why. Then there's the bomb the film drops. Family members alleging that Whitney's child abuse at the young age at the hands of her cousin. Yeah. Uh, because of the, the screenplay, 
I would also lay some of the blame at the 1980s and 90s homophobic culture. It's pretty clear from the documentary that she was a lesbian and could not openly live with her lover. Constant pressure to hide her true sexuality cannot have been healthy. Also the fact that Whitney could not afford to continue the rehab towards the end of her life as the money had dried up was a shaming moment for me. So many people, family and friends, with their heads in the trough. Okay, it's time to sum up. Guys, your final thoughts? Uh, For me, all in all, a fascinating couple of hours that leaves you with more questions than answers. As I said at the start, not an easy watch. You just follow her on a journey to superstardom and then to poverty, hopelessness and death. Oh, and let's not forget her daughter's story. It's really, really tragic as well. It's a warts and all documentary, reminiscent of I, Tonya, where all the interviewees start by defending their actions and blaming the others and ended with them all admitting guilt. Mm. I'm glad I saw it, but it is a tough watch. Amazingly, lads, I think we're all in agreement mm-hmm. on this one. Yeah. Um, I'm preparing for this yeah, watching the film and the review, I did listen to some of her music and that upbeat, joyous quality of the 80s. And now, well, it's just become depressing, really. Even something as upbeat as I want to dance with somebody just has lost its sparkle. I now have the images of watching the decline of a beautiful, cultured woman as she descends into addiction. And honestly, it's heartbreaking. That said, it's a story that needs to be told. If it encourages people to speak out about abuse and addiction, then I understand why the family allowed it to happen. In short, I would recommend this, but be warned... As we have said repeatedly through this review, it's not an easy watch. So, before we go to Graham's review, let me give you some recommendations that will tie in with Whitney. Amy, the Amy Winehouse story, and it's a clear parallel to this one. Whitney, Can I Be Me, Nick Broomfield's take on the same story. Marley, another excellent documentary from director Kevin MacDonald. If you're a big Bob Marley fan, like I am, uh, be prepared for a number of not very flattering revelations in that movie. Uh, The perspective of history can uh, tarnish any reputation, it appears. And finally, something that is fictional, although based very loosely on Janis Joplin's story, The Rose, starring Bette Midler. So, let's leap over to... Graham's review, and we'll start tagging here. Tag is, of course, a simple child's game involving a chase, a touch, and you're it. Did you play this game at school, Neil? Of course I did, but I, quite frankly, I preferred rugby. Yeah, I bet it was touch rugby. Where your mind goes is unbelievable. Have you seen a psychiatrist? Graham, when are we discussing cuts? After Neil's insightful moment there, and... uh, The psychiatrist, I believe, is on retainer. (laughs) Back to Tag, the movie, which incredibly is based on a true story, although the main story has been fictionalised. Now, in this film version, Hoagie Malloy, played by comic actor Ed Helms, has convinced the team that this year they can do the impossible. Tag the one player who has never been tagged. Since day one, Jerry Pierce, Jeremy Renner, better known to Graham as Hawkeye, oh, yeah. has never been it. However, in this year's games month, Jerry is getting married. So the team have a schedule as to where he will be at certain times. Will this be the year of Jerry's downfall? Or are they just about to cause carnage in the lead up to the happy event for the sake of an adolescent game? So, Graham, what did you think? Did this movie tag a special place in your heart, or was it just a pointless run around? Actually, Jeff, it was good. Not brilliant, 
but a good funny movie. I mean, reviewing comedy movies is always a bit of a challenge. Uh, comedy is a very personal thing. A person's sense of humour is a reflection of their personality. What one person will laugh at, another will think is just dumb. So reviewing a comedy movie can either go well, if the person listening to the review agrees with you, or you can end up looking like an emo on Love Island if you don't share the same sense of humour. <laughs> What's Love Island? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, uh, back to tag, and we'll I'll ask you that question offline again. Okay. Uh, I really like this movie, a comedy with a dark edge that says something about American winning mentality. It's amazing that it's based on a true story. If only it had a more defined ending, this would have raised it from a second lead tag to you're it. The other thing about comedy movies for me is that they have to work as a whole. They can't be, there just can't be funny bits and the rest of the movie is a mess. The movie has to be complete or not at all. Uh, I only have three settings on my comedy movie review scale. Terrible, good and brilliant. So let me walk you through the scales. First up is the terrible category. I didn't find it funny at all. Right, I know where you're going with this because you're going to start talking about Peter Rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Now, other than James Corden... I thought it was good and the opening hilarious, so it's on my good scale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The first ten minutes were great, but the rest of the movie was a shambles. Goes back to my comment about a good comedy must work as a whole. Next category is the good category. I laughed and I enjoyed it. So this year in this category, what about Early Man and Game Night, which we reviewed previously? Yeah, Game Night was really good. And Early Man from Artman Animations had flaws, but overall was good. And my final category is the brilliant category. Uh, I laugh most of the time and there were other things going on in the movie to keep me interested. In this category, I would put things like Life of Brian, Blazing Saddles, most of the 70s Woody Allen and anything by Buster Keaton. And plus ditto recently in Bruges and The yep. Guard. Yep. Bo- yep, both brilliant, both and, in my brilliant category. And don't forget the film version of that 70s sitcom classic, Love Thy Neighbour. Which only you have watched. God, I wondered where you were going there, Jeff. <laughs> Ever relevant 1970s TV comedy reference in a movie show, thanks. <laughs> So you've given us three categories. Which category does Tag fit in? Well, Tag gets a well-deserved place in the good category. The script is good, and the fact that it's based on a true story just adds to the believability of the narrative. The script was okay, Graham. The sugary bit at the end, no. I thought the end was okay. They shot you with the big reveal about Hoagie Malone's condition. Uh, and then there is the coming together of the team, not as players, but as friends, and the final tag. And I thought that bit was done well. Um, I didn't mind the end too much. Um, and the cast, I must say, are excellent, bringing a lot of diverse styles to the movie. Ed Helms plays his character as a slightly deranged maniacally driven obsessive his comic flaw however is that he has the uh, he's totally incompetent he's full of enthusiasm but has the planning ability of Baldrick Hmm. and his wife Anna played by Isla Fisher compliments him brilliantly she is even more competitive than her husband she gives a really great supporting performance there's also a nice little double act going between the slick sophisticated corporate goon Bob 
played by John Hamm of Mad Men fame, and the stoner Loser Chili, played by Jake Johnson. A solid performance by the entire cast. Oh dear, I've got to disagree again, haven't I? I'm the surprise, one. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So the problem with the male actors, and I don't forget I like the film, the problem with the male actors is that on the whole, they don't step outside of their persona. Ed Helms, uptight comedy actor. John Hamm, he's replaying Mad Men. Now, only Jeremy Renner, who you haven't mentioned, lampooning his superhero and super-perfect image, is doing something slightly different. And he has great deadpan comedy timing. Now, with regard to the female performances, Isa Fisher is excellent and, for me, steals the film with her hyper-performance. No, I can't can't agree. The the fan... Ed Helms' character... How how bizarre. (laughs) Ed Helms' character, kindly... Kind of unbelievable. And Isla Fisher's well over the top. As you say, Jeff, they mostly played to type. Chili was good, providing something different. As for Jeremy Renner, sure, it was funny in places. But it's way short of this year's Game Night as a film, let alone a comedy. Yeah, okay, I'd I'd probably put this below Game Night. Hmm, well below. (laughs) Okay, well, the script... Miles below. Yeah, okay, I got it, I got it. The script <laughs> the script is solid. I mean, combining character interaction, physical comedy, slapstick, a wonderful running monologue from Reggie, played by <laughs> little Ray Howie, the fifth member of the gang, and a man who has anxiety issues. Reggie provides a barrage of great one-liners. His constant passing commentary on the foreground action, I just really enjoyed it. Jeremy Renner's fiancé, Leslie Bibb uh, delivered a great over-the-top Bridezilla performance. Over-the-top, exactly. The same <laughs> thing. The game, way too over-the-top. The, the script gave everyone space to breathe and fill out their characters so that we get to like them and care about them. Finally, on performances, and I see, I have come back to it now, Jeff, Jeremy Renner's character, Jerry, is played as a sort of superhero which, considering his most memorable on-screen persona, is very funny and adds to the fantasy and and the silliness of the entire movie. As you've leapt into performance, I'll leap back to script. Um, It's incredible, really, that the main plot, it's fiction, but many of the tags they show are true. I mean, (laughs) that father's funeral, the wife giving birth, and both of them being tagged are true. In real life, there was a a chemo joke which they decided not to be filmed, which... (laughs) I just find incredible, oh, maybe considering made it funny. Well, considering how much they made up of a miscarriage joke, it just seems bizarre yeah. that these filmmakers can have any good taste. I mean, the male characters are all shown to be wanting and failures at so much in life, which is why they go back to their childhood when things were supposed to be simpler. Even the most successful have issues. The Renner character, mm. who seems perfect throughout, he's shown to be a recovering alcoholic. Now, the female characters take the games far more to heart, and that's reflective of a modern America. And it can be seen in the way female groups and rally attendees for Orangeman acts. Okay. You know, I don't take it back into Orangeman territory, but, you know, this film clearly has a point to make there. Um, and I think with this and Game Night, American comedies have found an interesting, darker point of view 
avoiding mainly sentimentality this does fall into it at the end but avoiding that as much as they can and it gives me hope for the future of american comedy i agree on game night but i'm sorry this one no no okay well just to to wrap this up uh, i thought also the pacing was excellent it zipped along with a running time of just 100 minutes moving across the u.s and back to the player's homeland where the game started the constant change of location hoagie's childhood basement the hometown bar jerry's wedding venues the aa meeting church keeps you engaged overall good fast driving pace and um, we've got some listener comments uh, from phil foster his view on this one probably one of the most bizarre based on a true story films that you could ever watch tag is a moderately successful comedy with a real dark street guys final thoughts on tag I think we're scratching around for plaudits. Honestly, I've forgotten most of it already. I'd rather have had documentary on the original tag players. Will I watch it again? No. It's maybe just scraping into the good category just for some of the sequences, which were okay. There's a reason why you forget it, Neil. It's called dementia. Um, (laughs) Well, you're older than me, Jeff, so... It doesn't work like that, Neil, trust me. I think it does. (laughs) Okay, I'll sum it up by saying it's funny and it's dark. That's what I want more of in my comedies. Okay. And I'd say this movie deserves a place in my good category. It's 100 minutes well spent. Other good comedy movies. It's a mad, 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 mad world. The dying words of a thief spark a madcap race across country to find some treasure. I mentioned 70s Woody Allen and I would recommend Manhattan as probably my favourite from that era. Spaceballs by Mel Brooks, Blazing Saddles by Mel Brooks, and returning to Cineworld Cheltenham in August is The Producers, screenplay by Mel Brooks. I'd recommend all of those. Great. And that song, Springtime for Hitler. Yes. Masterpiece. Classic. Um, I think that just about wraps it up for our movie reviews this month. So after the music, we'll be back with details of all the other media we have been watching or listening to this month. I've had a great month watching some really great movies and two excellent TV shows. Movies first, Wind River, starring that man again, Jeremy Renner. An excellent murder mystery sees FBI agent Elizabeth Olsen in Wyoming's Native American Reservation in the middle of winter. Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch's day job. So is that your criteria for watching films? If they've been in a superhero film, they're in. <laughs> uh, that one, Wind River, Not really, is Jeff, but, but they do seem to be everywhere. Yeah, I think you're obsessed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Winter's Bone, uh, set in the Ozark region of Arkansas, starring Jennifer Lawrence as the daughter seeking her missing father to save the family home that he has posted as a bail bond, directed by Deborah Granick, just wow, it was really, really good. A great story, well acted, and the director is someone to keep an eye on. I think she is going to be big. And finally, You Were Never Really Here, a traumatised veteran, unafraid of violence, tracks down missing girls for a living, then one of the jobs he takes goes badly wrong. Another great story and an excellent performance by Joachim Phoenix. And another great female director in Lynn Ramsey. It is good to see some uh, female directors actually getting to make some oh, yeah. really yep. great oh, movies out there at the moment. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, next, for what I've been watching on TV, following up on last month's show, I'm still watching Cloak and Dagger on Amazon, now on episode seven, still really enjoying it. It's very slow pacing, 
but it's getting there. Is it a superhero thing by any yeah, chance? It is. Oh, strange. Strangely, it's a. Su- I know mm-hmm. I've, I'm not one for watching those usually, but okay. there you go. Uh, however, I just binge watched season two of Luke Cage. More superhero? <laughs> More superheroes. <laughs> Great fun and a good improvement <laughs> from last season's. Sees the return of Misty Knight with her new bionic arm and the immortal Iron Fist, and he's actually quite good in it. I, I hated Iron Fist, but. Mm. Actually, they seem to have ramped him up a bit. That's a fun watch. Oh, and one more. And this is a Jeff recommendation. Jeff uh, told me to listen to this, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Radio 4 spoof sci-fi show with riffs on old 1950s Quatermass TV shows. It's written by the same guys who wrote... um, Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf, thank you. Uh, It's called The Quanderhorn Experimentations. There'll be a link on the show notes for that one. Well, for me, as always, cinema, TV and radio for cinema... Swimming with Men. Rob Ryden stars in this full Monty wannabe about men's synchronised swimming. Yes, Neil, you heard that right. Incredibly, it's based on a true story. It's a strange one, and after a rather shaky start, both fun and uplifting. Uh, However, it's no full Monty. Or... For that matter, it's no brassed off either. Yeah, but neither of those had a Welsh actor in the lead, so this scores higher in those points. Also, Adrift. Yeah, it's a true story month for me. 1983, a couple get caught up in a killer storm and have to find a way back to land. It's a fascinating film structure in that you don't see the storm until the end of the film. Everything's told in flashback. Great acting from the two leads, although the film could have been trimmed to be more effective. Finally on film, Skyscraper. Dumb but also a great deal of fun. If you grew up on 70s disaster movies, then this is for you. The Rock battles a burning building and a criminal gang to rescue his family. As Graham said when we were leaving the screening, a great summer blockbuster, and one where it is the woman who ultimately saves the day. Makes Incredibles 2 look like a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> no, I, I really loved Sky- Skyscraper as well. It was just big and dumb. And the best line of the movie for me was when The Rock said, if you can't fix it with duct tape, you're not using enough duct tape. <laughs> I have to say, it was more enjoyable than I thought it was yeah. going to be. Yeah, which that's is a quote, good. That's a quote I would never use about Incredibles 2. Um, right, for TV, get shorty on Sky Atlantic. Forget the fun John Travolta take on the great Elmore Leonard novel. This is far more gritty. It's completely absorbing once I'd finally laid the movie Ghost to rest, which took about three episodes. Chris O'Dowd gives the performance of his career as a minor mob enforcer who sees Hollywood as the way out of a violent lifestyle he both rejects and, on occasions, finds useful. Can't wait for season two. For radio, Dead Ringer season 18 has just finished. Hilariously reflects our troubled political times. Sometimes too well. As Graham said to me, I can no longer tell if this is a comedy or documentary. Boris Johnson, Orange Man, Michael Gove, Diane Abbott were all in the firing line of a show which seemed to have more acid than normal this year. Maybe that's because we're all getting fed up with the current state of the Western world. If you're a regular listener, you know all about it. If not, well worth tracking down. We all went to see The Breadwinner at Tewksbury Roses Theatre about a young girl growing up in Afghanistan and... Also watching Persopolis the night before about a young girl growing up in Iran on Blu-ray, I'm amazed that these two incredible stories do not get a bigger audience. Both beautifully told, showing what animation can do to raise awareness of both the Middle East and 
the West's involvement. In contrast to the above, I've also been watching White House and Mortimer Gone Fishing on BBC. Two ageing comics, friends for many years, both with heart problems, and some of the funniest TV I've seen for years. And the rest of the month was taken up with the World Cup. England came fourth, Jeff, which was nice. So you watch a show about fishing. Tell me, at Christmas, do you watch that show about this, like, skiing through or on a sleigh or something going through scandinavia for four hours have you ever seen mortimer and whitehouse gone fishing no because well, shut be up sleep within a minute shut up until you've seen it you muppet <laughs> i've actually set my recorder up <laughs> seriously <laughs> yes you've got too That's much a lot space funnier too than much you would time ever believe neil recommended the breadwinner which blew me away so i've got to give him the benefit of the day and I'll, I'll give you a copy of Persopolis as well thank to you watch. very much thank As for next month, Neil will be reviewing Christopher Robin. Jeff will be reviewing The Equaliser 2. And Graham will be reviewing Ant-Man and Wasp. Are you bloody kidding? Not another superhero film. Oh, come on, Jeff. It's been over two months since Infinity War. I'm getting superhero withdrawal symptoms. Need a fix. Evangelina Lilly can be my drug of choice. <laughs> oh, God. Right, OK, let's move on. Now, we've allowed Neil to stay up late. It's a very special event to record this final bit of the podcast. It is the legendary film quiz. This is the seventh podcast. Legendary? Hey, <laughs> James Dean's legendary. He just made three films, right? <laughs> Neil. This month, the quiz is to test your knowledge of your hero, Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> now, you model yourself, and looking at you now, on his later let-himself-go years, so this is going to be an interesting union. Four questions to test your Stallone knowledge. Question one. In which Woody Allen film did Stallone play a mugger on a subway train? Question two. In what other film did Sylvester Stallone appear with Woody Allen? Question three. For what film did Mr. Stallone write, direct and star, write the theme song and sing the theme song? Question four. How many Oscars has Sylvester Stallone been nominated for? Think you know the answers to them? Let us know. Good luck and the answers will come next time. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap and another At The Flicks is in the can. So it only remains for us to say... Dovinja, I am now off to build my own version of Neil as an orange balloon baby holding his golf club. <laughs> I'd like to see that, Jeff. You're famous for your lack of DIY ability. Well worth seeing. And tag, Jeff. You're it. And ah, no, 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 no. You can't tag me back. Neil, get back here. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and to everyone else, thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening and, and goodbye. goodbye. <laughs>